Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hour, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, momentarily, she will have her uh, first, first press conference of the week. She's scheduled to do two. I wonder if they'll go back-to-back days. Yeah, it's interesting to think uh, kind of the way they're going to play that out. Do they push it back then to Friday and then go back to the normal schedule next week of the Tuesday-Thursday that they had had set up? But decision was made yesterday that they were going to postpone a day because of the funeral happening mm-hmm. uh, yesterday down in Houston for for Floyd. So uh, because of that, pushed it back here, and we're waiting. I see uh, one person in the shot, and he's looking at his watch himself right now. See waiting for the gun. Well, yes. you're going to have to wait for David Kaplan. He's coming up at about 11.35 or thereabouts. Cappy, who we, if you're, if you're new to the program, we have to tape Cappy. He's on the air right now uh, in Chicago. So we tape Cappy uh, Wednesday morning at 8.30. Trent and I uh, get in here, tape Cappy, and uh, we will play that at about 11.35 or thereabouts, I guess, depending on how, uh, how late the governor is. But Cap's got some good stuff. Like I, It's one of my favorite segments of the week, talking Cubs. He had Sammy Sosa on his radio program, so we'll recap that one with uh, Cappy. We're going to hear from the governor of the state of Iowa. She's at the podium, and here is Kim Reynolds. Okay, well, good morning, and we'll go ahead and get uh, started. You know, I'm happy to say that Iowa's COVID cases continue to trend in the right direction. The number of Iowans tested has now exceeded the 200,000 mark and currently stands at a per capita rate of 1 in 16 Iowans have been tested. There's been a total number of tests done. Uh, That number is 232,000, so that includes some of the repeat tests that Iowans now have an opportunity to do. So over 2,000 individual Iowans have been tested and 232,000 tests have been completed. In late April, when the virus activity and surveillance testing was increasing, we hit an all-time daily high of 791 positive cases, and our overall positivity rate reached a high of 30%. Since then, positive case numbers have been consistently trending down. Our average positivity rate is currently at 11.1%. And yesterday, our daily positivity rate was 5.4%. Overall, hospitalization rates also continue to trend down. In early May, we saw a high of more than 400 COVID-19 patients hospitalized. I think it was 417. And we had 164 Iowans in ICUs. Since then, these numbers have gradually and consistently decreased and, again, continue to do so. Currently, across the state, a total of 245 COVID-19 patients are hospitalized. That's down from 255 yesterday, and it's down from 394 a month ago. We have 73 patients in the ICU. That's down from 82 yesterday and 152 a month ago. 
As virus activity increased in some areas of the state, hospital rate, uh, hospitalization rates in specific regions also increased temporarily for a period of time. The Regional Medical Coordination Centers, or our RMCCs, responded as planned, helping coordinate the transfer of vents and other medical supplies to hospitals in need and or assisting with the transfer of patients to other facilities for care. But throughout this time, critical health care resources, including ICU beds, vents, and vents, remained stable across the state, and most importantly, Iowans received the quality of care that they needed and deserved. Our PPE inventory has also grown to serve the immediate and longer-term needs across the state. We now have a minimum of 14 weeks of supply in all essential PPE categories, and we continue to build both regional and state stockpiles capable of providing a combined 90 days of supply to area health care facilities. We've also seen our testing capacity uh, increase significantly statewide. Iowa's major health care systems are processing COVID-19 tests in their hospital labs. The state hygienic lab has processed more than 80,000 tests from Iowans, more than any other lab serving our state. And Test Iowa has tested more than 36,000 Iowans since April 25th, the day that the first site opened, and they've tested more than 25,000 uh, were tested since May 22nd when testing criteria was open to anyone wanting tested. So the 25,000 were tested since May, uh, May 22nd. By testing more Iowans and through our robust case investigation process, we're better able to track virus activity, understand its scope, and monitor trends over time, whether that's statewide, county, community, or right down to a zip code. It also allows us to track the recovery rate of those who have been sick. Of more than the, the 22,500 Iowans who have had COVID-19, more than 13,500 or 60% have recovered. And 55% of all long-term care staff and residents that had the virus have also recovered. Additionally, 11 long-term care facilities where outbreaks occurred have now been removed from the outbreak status after having had no new cases for 28 consecutive days. Our ability to quickly identify an uptick in virus activity enables us to potentially identify, again, emerging hotspots early and get ahead of outbreaks that could develop as a result. Equally important, the data also informs important decisions regarding our economic recovery and getting life back to normal. Results such as the consistent downward trends in positive cases and hospitalizations that were experienced uh, for the last month allow us to confidently take additional steps forward, further relaxing restrictions and reopening businesses through a measured and responsible approach that's driven by data. Effective Friday, June 12th at 8 a.m., the 50% capacity limit currently in place uh, for businesses will be lifted while retaining the requirements of six feet social distancing for certain businesses like restaurants, bars, and theaters. Eliminating the capacity restrictions will allow businesses the flexibility to adjust their specific operations accordingly to best meet the needs of their employees and customers. Establishments um, shall 
implement reasonable measures to ensure social distancing, increase hygiene practices, and other public health measures to reduce the risk of transmission of COVID-19, consistent with the guidance that's been provided by the Department of Public Health. Swimming pools may open under these same guidelines, and senior centers and adult day, pro, adult day care programs may also open if they comply with specific guidance being issued by the Department of Public Health. These changes are a result of the positive forward momentum that we're, gener that we're generating in Iowa, and we must keep it going. So we know that COVID-19 will remain in our communities for a while, but we also know what we can do to effectively mitigate and manage and contain it while we safely and responsibly move forward with life. It remains just as important now as it did three months ago that every Iowan continue to do their part to protect the health and the health of their health and the health of others, especially those who are most vulnerable. This morning, um, I've asked Dr. Badati to talk about the ongoing guidance from the Department of Public Health as we continue uh, progressing through our recovery phase. Dr. Badati. Whoops. Thank you, Governor, and good morning, everyone. So first, I want to start by thanking all Iowans for everything that you've already done to help limit the spread of this virus. I know that this has been an incredibly challenging time, and I know that all Iowans have made adjustments in their daily lives to help keep our families and our communities safe. I want to encourage everybody to stay informed and to continue to use good personal protective measures to help to limit the spread of this virus. So as we dial back on some of the mitigation strategies that we've used as part of this response, it's a good opportunity to review what some of those public health strategies are. It's important to remember that any Iowan that falls into a high-risk group, so that's going to include people who are older, older than 65, people who have underlying conditions like chronic lung disease or serious heart conditions, individuals in those groups are still going to want to stay home and avoid group settings as much as possible in order to protect their health. It's also okay to continue to stay home if you don't fall into those groups. Each Iowan should decide what's best for them and what might make sense for their circumstances to keep themselves and their families healthy. Now, doing things like staying home when you're sick, which is what we call isolation, and then staying home when you're exposed to somebody who's had COVID, which is what we call quarantine, continue to be very important ways to help limit the spread of this virus. So in particular, when we talk about quarantine, that's going to apply to people who are currently healthy, but who have had an exposure to somebody who's had COVID. And this is an important thing to do because if you stay away from other people for a period of 14 days, if you were to become sick, there would not be the opportunity to spread that virus to anybody else, and so it stops the transmission of the virus right there. Now, if you're not in a high-risk group, and if you're feeling well, and if you've not had a concerning exposure, and you're going to be outside of your home resuming activities, it's still important to follow public health guidance. So that's going to include things like taking steps to maintain at least a six-foot distance from others, and washing your hands frequently to help further limit the virus's ability to move between us. Also, using a cloth face covering if you are unable to maintain a six-foot distance from others is going to be yet another tool you can use to help limit spread. 
Now it's important to remember that if you're going to wear a face covering, you want to make sure that that's covering your mouth and your nose, and it should fit closely to your face. You don't want to be touching the outside of that mask, and if you do have to touch it or adjust it, you're going to want to immediately wash your hands. And those kinds of cloth face coverings should be changed after each use and cleaned, or if they become visibly dirty. Now, throughout this response, the Department of Public Health has provided guidance that Iowans can refer to as we start to get back to the ways that we live, work, and interact with each other. And we want to continue to do these things in a very safe and reasonable way, and so you'll continue to find guidance, including information about the, um, the topics and items that the governor mentioned on both coronavirus.iowa.gov and idph.iowa.gov. And that's also going to include guidance like the things that I've just discussed, as well as other measures that we talk about, like free frequent cleaning and disinfecting. So overall, I think this has continued to be a very rapidly evolving response, and the department remains committed to stopping the spread of this virus and keeping Iowans informed and healthy. I encourage everyone to use the practices that I've described to help slow the spread of COVID-19. And these kinds, of virus, or these kinds of practices are also going to be really helpful in limiting the spread of other diseases. So they're going to continue to be important things to do as we move forward to help protect our health and the health of our communities. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Padati. I just so appreciate your partnership throughout this process, especially as we continue uh, every day to learn more about COVID-19 and apply that information to our strategy to manage uh, the virus and protect the health of all Iowans throughout this time. I am proud to say that we continue to add testing sites, which we think is critical in our ability to manage and contain. On Monday, we announced five new Test Iowa sites, including four clinic sites that are partners that are partnerships between the state and local health care providers uh, to increase access to testing in rural, in rural Iowa and rural communities. Clinics operate and staff the test sites while the state provides testing supplies and processes the samples, again, through the state hygienic lab. Test Iowa clinic sites are now available at West Burlington, Waterloo, Clorinda, and Creston. Two more clinic sites are opening in Carroll and Crawford counties. Both will be operated by St. Anthony Regional Hospital. One site opens today at the hospital in Carroll, and the other site opens tomorrow in Denison at uh, St. Anthony Clinic. We're working with other health care providers in communities across uh, the state and plan to open additional clinic sites next week, including one in Osage uh, in partnership with the Mitch Mitchell County Public Health to, again, further um, expand access to testing in smaller communities where it is just otherwise um, limited. We do have a couple of our drive-through sites, Des Moines and Cedar Rapids, that will be moving to new locations in those communities. The Des Moines site currently is located at the Iowa Event Center's North Parking Lot. It will move to Polk County River Place at 2309 Euclid Avenue in Des Moines. And the Cedar Rapids location currently at Kirkwood's Community Education Training Center will move to the Iowa DOT District 6 office at 5455 Kirkwood Boulevard in Cedar Rapids. Both moves will occur when testing concludes at 6 p.m. on Friday. Each site is being relocated so that businesses can resume as usual at the Iowa Events Center and at the Kirkwood Community College. And again, I want to thank both.
both organizations for working with us to help launch uh, Test Iowa sites in Des Moines and Cedar Rapids. Testing will begin again Monday morning at the new location, so be sure and complete an assessment at uh, testiowa.com and schedule an appointment if you want to be tested um, at one of the Test Iowa sites. And remember, that is one option if you are feeling any symptoms and you're having trouble scheduling, uh, be sure and call your physician. So this is one option to get tested. You also have the option to go through uh, your health care providers and call uh, a clinics if that, that is necessary. So with that, I'll open it up for questions. Governor, a couple weeks ago you said you were meeting with the Iowa State Fair Board telephonically. What mm -hmm. was your recommendation to them about the 2020 Iowa State Fair? Yeah, so I'm not making a recommendation to them, Kay. They actually gave me an update on what they had been working on. They'd sent out a survey, some of the things that they were taking into consideration, some of the um, shows that had canceled and what that looked like moving forward and how they were going to continue to look at all the information uh, to get kind of a where we were at as a state. So I was able to give them an update um, as a snapshot in time of what currently was in place. Um, so we walked through some of that. But mostly that meeting, Kay, was an update on their part to talk about what the board had been working on, the survey that they're putting in place, um, that looking at, you know, the if they can actually pull off a fair with reduced attendance and so they were uh, putting in, uh, doing the due diligence um, and getting gathering the information to provide the fair the fair board members so it was more an update given your announcement today about businesses opening at full capacity does that inform their decision well I mean they'll have to decide that but we have to continue to practice social distancing I'm taking the 50% capacity off giving somewhat flexibility to businesses and how they can make sure that they're protected their employees as well as their um, clients and so the same thing would practice dr. Bad would would apply dr. Badati I think has walked through what we need to continually keep in the back of our mind as we continue to recover and move forward with opening the state back up so they'll have to continue to take all of that into account and you have to remember they've had a lot of um, participants that typically make up the Iowa State Fair um, that are not going that have already canceled so that's some of the things that they'll have to work through when they meet as a board and I you know I, I stand by whatever decision they make I appreciate they've really been thoughtful and taking the time they've not rushed this decision giving Iowa and Iowans an opportunity to respond and uh, so they could wait as late as possible to see where we were at in a very evolving and rapidly changing environment to make those decisions so I appreciate them really taking the time to do that. Dr. Padati, is there any um, public health advice for if the fair should go forward or, or thoughts about whether that's advisable? Yeah, so again, I think that the the things that I described earlier are all the things that I think we'd want to be keeping in mind regardless of what setting or situation we're talking about, right? And those things are all based on what we understand about the virus, and so that's what's informing these recommendations, and that's why we continue to talk about things like people who are at higher risk, you know, should avoid group settings, and using all of the techniques like staying six feet away from others, you know, practicing frequent hand washing, um, and all of those things and they're going to continue to be important things regardless of which setting we're talking about at this point they're also going to be important things for a variety of illnesses they help protect against so these are all good general public health practices that we want people to continue to follow governor what's your take on uh, senator smith's bill as it relates to absentee voting and uh, secretary pate sending out those uh, absentee ballot request forms do you believe uh, secretary pate did the right thing by doing that in the first well place? he sent out request for an absentee 
um, ballot. So I think that was fine. And I'll wait and see where they end up with the legislation. It's been a longstanding practice of mine not to comment on legislation until I see it in its final form. And this applies to that as well. So I know they're having conversations and they're discussing. And I'll wait and see where that ends up. And then we'll review it like I do every other piece of legislation and, and move forward. Governor, um, upstairs in, in the Capitol today, there are members of Black Lives Matter who have some demands for the legislature. Um, have you met with any of these members of these groups? And, and uh, do you have a position of whether you would support any of the demands that they've made? Well, I first of all, I, I am it, it made it very clear that I'm committed to you know sitting down and having a conversation to most importantly listening um, and, and talking about what we need to do to continue to move forward. I don't know if they've specifically asked for a meeting with us, but I've made it very clear throughout the week. We've met with um, community um, leaders uh, to talk about how we can move forward, to talk about you know how we can bring groups together and sit down in front of them and listen to what you know they're experiencing and talk about have quite frankly some pretty tough conversations about what's taking place and how we can collectively put together uh, long-term and lasting reform. And so we're meeting with the legislature right now, both parties. We've had some really really good conversations regarding um, some three issues that the minority party brought up at their uh, press conference and so we've met for the last three days. My hope is that we can uh, stand before Iowans and have a bill that you know is unanimously passed and signed by the governor that's a starting point. It's certainly not where it's not the end but it's a starting point and so you know we just need to do what we can to continue those conversations and continue to move forward. Would that bill include the three recommendations that the Democrats Well again I'm not gonna you know we're still working on that and we're doing that um, in you know, in Ernst, we're having a conversation, but the, 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 I thought it was a reasonable place to start. And so we've had some really good conversations, and I'm hoping we can get that finalized today. And just to follow, just to mm -hmm. clarify, yep. the, the folks who were here today, you did not meet with them? No, I did not. One of the aspects of, I guess, opening up further is the the idea that there may be some people that go to a business or, or work for some place that, that gets coronavirus. There is an effort to mm -hmm. shut down or at least limit severely the ability for someone to sue. Yeah. I guess that seems to favor business interests more than it does in the interest of the individual who may get sick. I guess I'd like to know what your position is on yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's an unfair statement. I don't think that that's accurate. What I've experienced from businesses that I've worked with, that they have gone above and beyond to do everything that they can to not only protect their employees, but to make sure that they're protecting, um, you know, their clients that come in. So it's a balance. I think it's very hard. It would be very hard to identify where somebody was exposed to the COVID-19. I mean, look at the protests that have been taken place over the last 10 days. So you go back to work, how can you determine where and when you came in contact that somebody, you know, was somebody that potentially had COVID-19? So it's just, I think, almost unreasonable. But what we can continue to do, David, is to provide testing, to work with our businesses, to give the employees the assurance to test multiple times to make sure that they're still testing negative. At that time, Time to identify maybe somebody that was asymptomatic that tests positive. So we can do the case investigation and start to identify what the scope of that looks like. So, and people need to practice personal responsibility. If you're going to participate or do things that we're, we're not, you know, implementing six feet social distancing or not wearing a mask, then you're subjecting yourself to pretense, um, potentially getting COVID-19. So we all have a role to play in that. So... 
Governor, uh, th this morning the House Appropriations Committee met to look at the, their proposal for a budget. Democrats were critical of, of the House Republicans' proposal, which would give you, you and the Department of Management really wide authority over spending the federal funds that are coming into Iowa yeah. right now. Um, you know, do you think that, that you should have that authority without checking with the legislature? And, well, well, and and what do you plan to do to be transparent? Well, you're assuming that I didn't check with the legislature, and that's not accurate. Okay. I have done a lot of outreach with associations and businesses and communities and health care uh, providers. I've been on a conference call with the Iowa State Association of Counties. I spent uh, 20 years as a local government official. I've reached out to the League of Cities. We've done a lot of outreach and, you know, to talk to try to understand the cost and the impact, to make sure that we're using the FEMA dollars that are available, to make sure that we take, you know, utilize those appropriately, um, then the 25 cents, or 25 cents, percent, uh, now is, um, can we can use the uh, CARES dollars for the 25 percent as well. So, um, you know, I've tried to, um, do it with not me personally, but I've done some of it. But the team has done a lot of outreach to make sure that we're being responsible and using the CARES dollars. So, part of the issue with that bill that they're talking about, though, the way they're passing the budget is um, the uh, lack of. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, I think we should reevaluate what we're going with these things. Yeah, get, getting away from COVID right. just a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. So, we will um, have a meeting. <laughs> yes, we will. I know we do that. Uh, if we get back to sports, we're going to with Cappy again. We we committed to uh, carrying these when it was the the COVID, mm -hmm. um, but there's just so much that I think is kind of outside the realm of what we promised that we would do. Anyways, we will promise that we're going to have David Kaplan coming up. He had Sammy Sosa on his uh, radio show yesterday. Of course, this coming weekend is the Sosa McGuire thirty four thirty. A lot of folks, Trent. Um, there was a lot of hard feelings, and if this mm -hmm. poll would have been put out. In uh, when he walked away from his team on the final day of the regular season, you're going to hear from some stuff from Cappy that what went on in the clubhouse after that game. Absolutely crazy. Who knew that? I mean, I knew that they t somebody took a bat to the boombox. Mm -hmm. It goes deeper. It's the other aspect that I certainly had no knowledge of, and Cappy's going to tell us what that was. How's that for a tease? But it's worth it. I'm telling you. Yes. It, uh, I think so anyways. I don't think you knew this part of it, uh, the story of Sammy's last day as a Cub. We will hear that. We'll hear Cappy coming up next. Boy, this has been an easy hour on us. All of a sudden, hey, how about that? <laughs> Wednesday. Well, yeah, true. Miller and Condon with you until noon. David Kaplan, sponsored by Centurion Stone of Iowa. He's next. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3. Today. It's our final segment here on a Wednesday. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. You asked for Cappy late in the program. Well, here he is. Uh, he joined us earlier this morning. He's with us right now. Cap Trenton, Kent, thank you for coming on. How are you, Cap? All 
is good. All is well here in Chicago. I hope the same for all of you and your listeners. Absolutely. Doing the best we can. Cap, you had a big day yesterday. Got a lot of publicity for having Sammy Sosa on. Of course, Sosa McGuire, the ESPN 30 for 30 coming up this Sunday night. A lot of baseball fans, a lot of sports fans really looking forward to going back to 1998. What a tremendous ride it was for a sports fan. You had Sammy yesterday. We'll get to the 30 for 30 in a minute, but Cap, Take us back to the end uh, of the Cubs Sammy Sosa relationship. Of course, we remember the, you know, the boombox, if you will, in the uh, in the clubhouse. How did it end? Um, take us back to that time. Uh, I mean, it didn't end well. Now, I look. I can't defend Sammy doing what he did and leaving the team 15 minutes into the last game of the season and never putting his uniform on. I mean, that's not defendable, even though Dusty has confirmed that he did give him permission to leave. It's just a bad look. You're a team leader, and because the team got eliminated, you decide, yeah, I'm tapping out. I'm out. And then his teammates, and this is true, his teammates took a baseball bat, led by many people think Kerry Wood, but he's never confirmed that. Uh, They destroyed his boombox, which was the source of frustration for a lot of players. And then a bunch of guys decided to use his locker as a urinal. Oh, my. And Yeah. Jeez. And that told you a lot about how they felt at him about him at that point. However, since that, Kerry Wood has come out on camera, not off the record, on camera and said, it's time to bring him back. Uh, we had a couple of incidents with him as a teammate. He said, but he was actually played hard every day. He wanted to play 162. Uh, But that last day, he leaves, and then the Cubs, in their infinite wisdom, released the security video of him getting into his car Mm -hmm. at like 135. The game started at 120, and they released this, completely severing the relationship between Sammy and the team to never recover, and then they trade him that following January. Well, let me see. I want you to buy my house, but let me make sure I devalue the asset as best I can. Oh, yeah, I got a leaky basement. I got rats running through the garage in the first floor bedroom. I mean, it was just stupid. It was just a bad look. If you want to trade him, trade him, Uh, and this thing needs to end. It's It's been far too long. And they need, I'm not telling you they got to make him the manager or the president or right. the GM or give him ownership. Bring the guy back to throw out the first pitch, sing the stretch, and get an ovation. Uh, do they need to retire his number? Uh, I probably would. Now, that's, you know, that's a way bigger step. So let's take baby steps here and let's figure this out. So I'm not saying they should retire it now, but I do think at some point, like to give whoever it is, Jason Marquis or whoever else they have wearing his number. Didn't Milton Bradley wear number 21? I think he did. Um, It's just silly. That's petty. It's dumb. Just get put the number in mothballs, and whenever the relationship's back where it's decent, retire it. The guy hit 609 home runs, 554, 544 in your uniform. He made you millions, whether you were the owner or not. He raised the value of the franchise and made tens of thousands of people Cubs fans because they loved watching that guy hit. 
besides bringing Sammy back in some capacity, like you mentioned, bringing him back to throw out a first pitch, sing the seventh inning stretch, uh, and besides that, what else does Sammy Sosa want? What else does he want in terms of the baseball life? Uh, I don't think he wants anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> I really don't. I think Sammy is in a good place in his life. I think Sammy is in a good place physically. He's in a very good place. We wish we all could be in the place he's in financially. He's involved in a couple different businesses. And all he wants is to feel welcome back, as he put it to me, in my house. He said, that's where I became a man with Chicago, and that's where I was able to have so much success, and I would like to come back there and, and feel the love of the fans. So I did a poll yesterday. It closes today at like 9 o'clock or 9.30 this morning. And on my Twitter feed, it's gotten almost 16,000 votes, and it's 86% bringing back. Jeez. Yeah, that, that's, that says all you need to know. Cap, um, David Kaplan is our guest in Cheering Stone of Iowa Sponsors. Cap, what, what role do the Ricketts play in this? Are they against this? Were they, when they uh, gained uh, ownership of the team, was that something that you know they're never going to bring him back? Where are the Ricketts? Where were they and where are they? They're, as far as I know, they're in the same place they've always been. Tom has said, I want a level of honesty from the players in that era, namely Sammy. And what he wants him to say is, yes, I used steroids, and it was wrong, and I'm moving past that, but I wanted to admit it. And then they'll bring him back. In fact, they were going to hire him as an ambassador in 2014 Mm -hmm. if he had admitted it, and they all feel like they were led to believe he was going to, and then it fell apart. I was in Florida to interview him. That was he. They said, Sammy... We want you to do an interview on TV. I remember it. Who do you want to interview? And he said, me. And I was flattered. And he said, bring Cap down here. So I got a call at 7 a.m. in 2014, and it was, can you be on a plane this afternoon? Uh, why? And they tell me. I said, yes. Take a film crew. David Hall goes with me. He's going to write a column in the Tribune. And away we go. We land in Florida, and the Dominican ambassador to the United States had told Sammy, don't do it, and he canceled the interview. And so it never happened. And I've asked Sammy directly. Sammy has always said to me, I hate needles. I have no positive test. He's never said to me, brother, I never did it. All he has said to me is, I hate needles, and I, you have zero positive tests on me. I've never failed a drug test, so why should I admit to something that you have zero proof I ever did? I'm to the point where, look, if you want a job from Tom Ricketts, if you want him to bring you in as the hitting coach, the assistant to the GM, whatever it is, then you have to play by his rules. Whether I agree with them or not, you've got to play by his rules. It's his team. But if all you want is to come back, throw out a first pitch, sing the seventh inning stretch, and Barry Bonds, who's the most miserable SOB I ever dealt with, has a statue in san francisco yep. are you kidding come on let's we're in a bad place in our world how about an olive branch and just go you know what long enough we're going to bring sammy back so many people are going to be happy about it we're bringing him back to our organization that would be a really really awesome move david kaplan joining us from chicago cappy we've talked about our memories of 1998 here on the program Take us back 22 years ago that summer, and it's certainly the June of Sammy Sosa, a big part of it, the home run chase of 98 for you. 
Well, I was doing the pre and the post every day. And so I was either you know, at Wrigley or in the studio if we were on the road. And it was a front row seat to absolute amazingness mm-hmm. every single day. And to deal with him, uh, he was great with me. He was always great. Uh, we had, a, a, I remember one run-in, something had happened, and I can't remember what it was because it's so long ago, but he, I came to the park, and he's like, I liked you, I trusted you, and you mm. completely screwed me on that interview. I said, Sammy, my job is to be honest. And so we didn't speak for, I'm going to say, at least a month, and then I was in the locker room one morning early, and he came up, he goes, come here, Poppy, and he gave me a hug. He goes, we cool? I'm like, yes, we're cool. And from that point on, Sammy and I have had this amazing relationship, and people in the media here are like, my God, how do you get him to come on all these different interviews? And it's because he's my friend. He's been good. And it doesn't mean I agree with everything he did, but I try to put myself in his shoes and understand his perspective. And he came on yesterday, and I thought he accorded himself very well. Cap, uh, you made the point earlier, and I, and I couldn't agree with it more, the fact that, you know, what he meant financially to that franchise. Um, you know, I, I, I picture the hop out of the batter's box when it looks like he got a hold of one. Uh, him running out before the, you know, taking his place in right field prior to the game starting, holding that little American flag and what that meant after 2001. I know this is impossible to put a number on it, but boy, the, the the amount of money that he meant to the Chicago franchise shouldn't be lost on anybody. Yeah, now the Ricketts family didn't own the team right. at that point, so their response would be, well, he didn't make us that money. We weren't the owner. Mm-hmm. Right. And the transgressions that you want him to apologize for, they didn't occur when you were the owner either. That's true. So you can go both ways with this argument. Uh, my whole point is that there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who became Cubs fans because that guy was getting in the batter's box and they're like, this is really cool. And they're going to watch it on WGN and they get to Chicago or if they live here, they're going to buy a ticket or a jersey, whatever the case may be. And now, 22 years later, we want him to apologize for something. And I just don't understand... What, why it's so necessary for Tom that he has to apologize. Like, why? What, what does it prove if he comes out and says, okay, I used the cream in the clear or whatever the case may be? Like, what is, okay, great. Now what does that do for us 22 years later? Right. I would prefer Tom, and I like Tom very much, be a bigger man and go, look, he's a big part of our history, and while we may not agree, with every decision, we also don't come from the Dominican Republic where a flattened milk carton was his first baseball glove. And he, as he said to me on the interview, I was shining shoes at like seven years old to bring whatever nickels I could home to my family so we could eat. I mean, this guy came from something that none of us can really understand. And so I think it's time to put bygones, let bygones be bygones, push all that stuff to the side and go, look, Sammy, you want to come back and be beat it at a game and hear the adulation come on good stuff there cappy let's fast forward 22 years to the here and now the latest on baseball the back and forth between the owners and the players what are you hearing uh i'm hearing we're 100 percent that we're going to play unfortunately that play might mean a 48 or 50 game season 
And I will tell you this. If I was a player, I'd play no matter how many games it was. Mm-hmm. I would. I would understand we're in the middle of a global pandemic, all of it. That said, I think that when you have an owner like Bill DeWitt go on a radio station in St. Louis yesterday, and Bill DeWitt says, we don't make any money in baseball. It's really not a profitable sport. You sound like a complete moron. You really do. Like a complete moron. And I can understand why there are people who call themselves players, guys, because nobody believes that. It was a $10 billion industry last year. $10 billion with a B. Now, that's not profit. That's revenue. But you're telling me that none of that is profit. And the fact that the Ricketts paid $845 million for the franchise, and now the franchise is worth $3.2 billion, according to Forbes, you're telling me that there's no ability then to borrow against your asset. I don't buy it. Cap, last thing for you. I, I'm curious to know, because it certainly doesn't move our needle here in Des Moines. The NFL draft, everybody's on pins and needles waiting for their guy, their team to, who are we going to get? In a bygone area, the, the Bears used to have first-round picks. You remember those days. But in a city with two major league teams, uh, both of the White Sox and the Cubs draft uh, somewhere in the top 20. Both of them do. How 11 big, and 16, respectively. 11 and 16. So how big of a talker, how big of a buzz is there around the major league draft, which moves very few needles, I think, outside of major league cities? Uh, very little. Very little. Like, I'm, I want to watch it tonight just to see, you know, who the Cubs and Sox take, and I want to see where Ed Howard, the local kid from Mount Carmel, where he goes, projected top, you know, 30 players. Uh, he's a shortstop. He's a really good athlete. So I'd like to see where a local kid goes. But, like, if I'm going to be sitting there, tonight at pick 23 if he's already been picked and the Cubs and Sox have picked and I hear oh they just took a high school outfielder from Seattle and he's going to the Orioles don't care good luck I'll see you four years from now when you get to the big league and we'll see you a week from today Cappy thanks for doing this I look forward to it always thanks buddy take care David Kaplan joining us ESPN 1000 NBC Sports SN joining us brought to us by our friends at Centurion Stone Centurion Stone of Iowa. Showrooms now open, but it's only open by appointment only. You can grab one of those appointments Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 5 a.m. And that's if you're looking for manufactured or natural stone to accent or update your exterior interior project of any size. Centurion Stone of Iowa. Variety of styles, patterns, and colors for your every need. Thank you, Joe Farron and Justin Luch. Centurion Stone of Iowa. You can find them online, centurionstoneofiowa.com. The showroom, once you make one of those appointments, is 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors Cappy. Good stuff from the cap man there on yeah. Sammy So It's time Trent, it's time for, as, as Cappy said, put uh, let bygones be bygones. Put it behind him. He never failed a test. He was part of that era. I, I think we'd be kidding ourselves to think that he did so clean. I mean, take a look at the pictures That's of him. Right. Yeah. Remember when he broke in with the Rangers? Just was, a beanpole. He really was, wasn't he? <laughs> and then got to the White Sox. Remember he was traded for the White Sox-Cubs made that deal? George Bell. Yes. Good. Hey, look at that. Ding, the memory ding, still ding. works. It does still work. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, my God. George Bell, good player for your Blue Jays. Hell, yeah, he was a good player for the Blue Jays. Lloyd Mosby, Jesse Barfield, and George Bell. That was a... yeah. 
a formidable outfield, to say the very least. But uh, good for the uh, Sammy for showing up with Cap yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, we never asked him. Well, we'll talk about it next week, just what he th- expects to see in the 30 for 30 McGuire uh, Sosa coming up. Here's a clip from yesterday's Cap and Company ESPN 1000. Sammy Sosa joining Cappy. And Cappy asked him about coming back to Chicago in Wrigley Field. And I want to see, you know, you know all my fans that support me in 1998, you know, I mean, through my career over there in Chicago. Uh, like I say, uh, Kaplan, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't have the ball. So pretty much, you know, I'm available. Whatever, you know, we have to do, we do it. But, you know, I guess, you know, we have to wait a little bit longer. Good stuff with uh, Cappy and Sammy Sosa. Again, our thanks to uh, Centurion Stone of Iowa. Well, while we finished up with Cappy talking about the the Major League Baseball draft, mm-hmm. there is a kid from Dowling, right? You're yes. going to have to help me with his name. Carter Carter Baumler. Baumler. He's a pitcher. He was okay. dinged up a little bit last year. Uh, didn't throw a ton of innings with the Maroons, but certainly, I, I said as I'm working for my preview that we're going to have up here, hopefully I'll get uh, fi- it finished up before we get to the start of the season on Monday, but if Carter Baumler was going to be part of this Dowling team, they're preseason number one for me. Okay. They're, they're that good, but... Yeah. Brock's back, their shortstop, who's really good. I really like that Dowling team. And having Baumler at the top of the rotation, a healthy Baumler, as he wasn't for parts of last year, that would have made them number one. But a lot of people anticipate he's going to hear his name called at some point. You know, a year ago. Tonight? Tonight's only round one. People have said, certainly a year ago, I think there was a stronger indication that could have happened. I, It would come as a surprise tonight, but this guy's really talented. He's Mm -hmm. going to TCU. That's where he's committed to play. I don't think he will go tonight, but... Will he go to TCU? That's the big question, if right? If he's a first-round pick or an early Even a second, second, third? Yeah. Now, the money, and, and that's the different part. You know, you get these slot salaries that you used to have in the MLB draft. That's different, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, the way that it works. Heard nothing but great things about his family and about just him as a kid, but should be a really fun uh, look at things. And it's always good when we get one yes. of the Central Iowa guys going, and only a five-round MLB draft... You know how much that's going to change just yeah. everybody in baseball and people playing in the collegiate level, in the high school level, and on and on. And also the money that they're going to be able to sign for is a lot different than in the past. How much will you watch tonight? Uh, I'll have it on. Will you? More in the background, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. I, I know East Pan's trying to make a big deal of yeah, this. Yeah. Why wouldn't they, right? They've right. got the rights to it. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're not covering up anything by, by right. putting this on. So, yeah, maybe we'll pay attention to it. Eastern my, Conference Finals from 1992. Is I mean, that just, playing? No, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they've been putting on lately. Not even NBA Finals games, but Conference Final games has been crazy. Indeed it has. All right, uh, we are out of time here. Murph and Andy coming up at 2. The Fanatics at 4 o'clock. And, of course, tomorrow morning, the Morning Rush will start it all over again at 6. We're Miller and Condon weekdays. 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.